Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Home Green Homes podcast. I am Izumi Tanaka, a green realtor and a lead green associate in Los Angeles and host of the show. Today I have Cassie Aoyagi as my guest. And Cassie Aoyagi is a lead accredited practitioner, a board member of the U.S. Green Building Council's thought-leading L.A. chapter, and president of Form L.A. Landscaping, a full-service design and build and maintenance firm. She believes L.A.'s authentic native beauty can save L.A. from drought, fire, flooding, and slides, all the while improving our health and economic resilience. During more than 20 years in business, Cassie's firm, Foam LA, has added nearly 1.5 million square feet of authentic native habitat to Los Angeles, ranging from Tahanga to Playa del Rey, Western Malibu to San Marina foothills, and that involved removing about 200,000 square feet of thirsty lawn the rough equivalent of 40 football fields or 750 tennis courts. As a result, each year, their work now saves L.A. over 10 million gallons of water, reduces air pollution by an amount equivalent to that produced by the annual commute of 59 Angelinos, saves their clients approximately $700,000 a year in lawn care expenses and keeps 2,400 pounds of toxic chemical fertilizers out of our wastewater set. So I am so honored to have you, Cassie, today um, for my my podcast, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you spared your busy schedule for me. (laughs) <laughs> I'm so well, happy to be here, Izumi. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we find ourselves in a rather peculiar time in our lives these days. Um, so, but I would like to um, this this conversation still relevant, and and your achievement in landscaping field in Los Angeles is quite impressive. I've I've been following you for some time, and um, and I'm really grateful that. That all the work that you've been doing and to help our city be more sustainable. So um, I know that you've done a lot of land, uh, landscaping work at institutional level, but um, as, as I, I am a real estate agent in the residential realm mostly, I like to kind of focus our conversation on that today. So sure. we shall dive in with that. Yeah, thank you. So we're going to dive into our conversation. So um, do you see any trend in residential landscaping simply just, you know, I'm sure as a professional um, directly dealing with your clientele, but driving around the neighborhood, talking to people, uh, what, is the, what is the trend that you see in the residential landscaping? Um, well, it's pretty interesting because as I drive around, uh, I hate to say it, but I notice everything because I do have mm-hmm. an, over, sure. an overarching sort of dream and vision for Los Angeles. And I'm always checking in mm-hmm. as I drive through the city to see, uh, are we bridging the gap? Um, so yeah. earlier, earlier in the year, I was pretty impressed 
to be seeing more rain gardens in the front mm. yard. And mm-hmm. these rain gardens are effective in infiltrating rainwater. And often mm-hmm. they're beautifully planted with native plants. And yeah. really a lovely way to enhance the front garden with not a whole lot of effort. And a close mm-hmm. second to that in trends, uh, I've seen more edibles in the front yard simply oh. because people don't have found that they're not using the front yard for gathering. So what can they use it for? And it turns out that edibles is pretty darn practical. And Mm. also as, as things have evolved over the last three months, I'm Mm -hmm. seeing even a change in that. I'm seeing more people thinking harder and deeper about their front gardens and wanting yeah. to get every bit of use of space from those frontages, whether it's mm-hmm. space to enhance uh, proper physical distancing with neighbors mm. and friends, or expanding even further upon their food gardens to be more resilient mm. during times like this. I just see uh, a huge increase in practicality and people mm. trying to understand and embrace their space and making it work for them. Mm, that's very interesting. So um, I'm going to ask you, uh, just go back a little bit about the edibles. What are the edibles that are um, that are thriving in our L.A. city or climate, in this climate? Yeah, well, we're we're lucky to be in LA because plants mm-hmm. just grow here, and right. we can we can herbs are probably the easiest and oh, the yeah. most readily uh, rotatable. A basil, mm-hmm. cilantro, mm-hmm. oregano, thyme. Some of those right. are even perennial, and you don't even need to change them out. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, I think. Tomatoes are super trendy in LA. We have uh, oh. an event called, I don't know if it happened this year, but uh, Tomato Mania. And uh, oh, it, wow. it really helps people get an incredible variety of tomatoes out into the garden. Wow. I, that's interesting because my husband, who's never grown anything, just brought <laughs> home like two tomato plants <laughs> last week. Well, see, there's and the that, trend right in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you. So, and then what are the some of the practical things that people are in, uh, uh, integrating in their front yard in terms of in response to, like you said, the last three months or so of this pandemic situation? Can you give us some example? Yeah. Um, I think that people are looking for joy and, and I've heard mm. that word more and more related to people's outdoor spaces, whether, mm-hmm. whether it's a pot on a balcony or mm. whether it's a giant yard, people number one are looking for greenery just to look at. And mm. because now you're at home looking out of your windows and it doesn't mm-hmm. take a whole lot to, I would say, to 
plant the right greenery to bring even more joy because that greenery, a native plant, for instance, might attract a butterfly Mm -hmm. or a hummingbird or a bird's nest. That's one of the things that I have found most wonderful in this last three months is people sending me photos of a nest. Mm. Uh, because oh. they have some foliage that hides it. And and honestly, when it comes to sort of establishing that joy in our front yard spaces, it's, it's literally planting a native plant in a pot, a California fuchsia that immediately mm-hmm. draws in a hummingbird or mm. a milkweed that brings in the monarch. It's the little things. It, it doesn't have to be a complete overhaul or redo it it can be pretty right. simple to bring that joy and to even get you outside yeah. to look at look at the results of yeah. your your uh your hard work <laughs> that's right yeah it really i i agree it really makes a huge difference when you can see birds or you know butterflies like you said people are so busy before the pandemic you know just getting to places, going somewhere, doing all the time. And, and we didn't really have a lot of time to sit and enjoy looking at the trees outside, you know. It's 100% true. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am enjoying looking at birds and butterflies myself. So I really I resonate with what you're saying. So going back to the what you call a thirsty lawn, um, I know that most people realize that maintaining maintain the green, very green, you know, grass in front of your yard or in the backyard takes a lot of water. But I don't know if many people realize the effect of, um, you know, like other effects such as the air pollution and toxic waste. Maybe yeah. you can maybe educate us and what the lawn sure. uh, takes, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've hit on the key point is uh, that we we can really overutilize a resource just by mm-hmm. a landscaping choice. If, if mm-hmm. we have the space, if we have a yard and, and Angelino is looking to make that choice, um, a lawn simply just takes more water than a native plant mm-hmm. or a compilation of native plants. But um, I think you started to allude to this. There's so many more reasons to reconsider that landscape choice and move away from one mm-hmm. because um, our choices, they really produce either an upward or a downward spiral in the world. So for instance, mm. because lawns aren't adapted to LA's climate, for one, we established they need a lot of water. But because of that, yeah. they're perpetually vulnerable to weeds, which then mm. demands chemicals to keep the weeds in check. Right. And the toxic chemicals leach into our groundwater table and also mm. affect human health, both indoor and outdoor. Then mm. there's the equipment that's used to mow the lawn. Gas-powered right. lawnmowers uh, produce a lot of emissions and make a huge carbon footprint and not mm. to mention the health cost to the people that are operating those mowers. Um, right. It's also 
a pretty inefficient use of your finances to maintain a lawn. Mm-hmm. Without a lawn, mm-hmm. cost savings can amount to a college tuition after 10 years um, wow. from just the savings. And wow. all of these, I know, it's, it's pretty dramatic, and, and you know, there's, there's pages and pages and pages of data. And while all of these mm-hmm. affect our environment and health, everything I've said is really important, the funniest thing is that the biggest complaint that clients tell me about their lawn is the time mm-hmm. they spend on trying to keep it manicured and weed-free. And it goes right. back to our very first point is that people simply want to spend time enjoying their garden rather than working on right. their garden. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Wow. I I mean, I had some idea of some of the effects, you know, but I didn't realize that, yeah, it's all connected, you know, like all the way from, you know, the water to people who are operating the lawnmower. Wow. That's, that's and, really, and the surfers in the ocean. Know. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That is very important for for all of us to know and be aware, especially in California. I mean, there are some cities where you don't have to do a lot of watering because they get rain, but we don't in California. So yeah, thank you so much for I, that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I want to add a, a small little piece to that. Is um, sure. Uh, while while we we think that you know. We, we know that planting a native garden has an endless upward spiral of benefits to um, not only just our homes, our communities, our schools, our environment, every, mm-hmm. our infrastructure. Um, I have mm-hmm. seen more people turning to a synthetic turf uh, mm-hmm. option, which, which mm-hmm. uh, also has a downward spiral. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so, Doing some research before you uh, go that route is important too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So that kind of leads me to my next question: of um, what is it that you would recommend for uh, homeowners or property owners um, to do with their existing yards? And this is not uh, when somebody's building a new home and doing the landscaping from from. Uh, from nothing, but when somebody already have a space, a outside sure. space that needs to be landscaped, and you know you may not want to do like a whole thing all at once. But what would you, what would you recommend uh, for homeowners, property owners to do first? Um, I love this question because I have some really actionable, simple answers. <laughs> um, oh, great. And I've, you know, I've gone through the process myself in my very own yard, which, which was mm-hmm. y- large and overwhelming when I moved in. But the mm-hmm. very first thing I did to preserve everything that I had was mm-hmm. applied a nice thick layer of organic mulch. Um, oh, one wow. of the things mulch does immediately is it keeps the weeds out, so it lowers your maintenance immediately. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. holds moisture in, and so it helps start saving water or putting your water that you use to a more efficient Mm -hmm. uh, purpose, Mm -hmm. you know, to your roots instead of evaporating into the air. 
the right, mulch right. can sl- slowly uh, decomposes into your soil and creates a, a richer, more nutritious uh, biome for your plant material to grow in. And it also just gives a, a cleaner look generally. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it is a sort of one thing you can do that hits a lot of things at the same time and reduces your, mm-hmm. uh, your maintenance. Um, you can mm-hmm. also... Another very important thing is to protect and preserve the mature trees. That is Mm. one of the most sustainable things you can do because your trees are uh, energy savers on your property. They they Mm -hmm. help preserve, conserve uh, hydration in the soil because they're shading the ground, uh, Mm -hmm. and they they actually add uh, value to your home. And and you probably know this. Uh, the mature trees yes, uh, and a landscape mm-hmm. generally appreciates over time. So um, mm-hmm. that that's key. Uh, eliminating chemicals yes. again. Once you have the mulch, you you mm-hmm. uh, are you you should be able to eliminate your chemicals. And if you have the opportunity to plug in a few native plants that attract natural predators, so mm. for instance, ladybugs eat aphids. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are mm-hmm. those are highly simple and very you know impactful. Um, mm-hmm. I would say this might even go up higher on the list, but monitor yeah. your irrigation system. Uh, I think mm-hmm. sometimes people think that because it's an automated system or they bought a home that has a brand new system that it doesn't require any monitoring, but it's the absolute opposite. Um, Irrigation systems Mm. need to be checked and run through regularly to shore up leaks Mm -hmm. and make sure it's not overwatering. And it also helps you become aware of the overwatering the more in tune you are to that irrigation system. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would say, and that's the last thing I would say, even though there's so many mm-hmm. more things you can do, is um, mm-hmm. I would time your pruning activities of the trees and large bushes and hedges on your property to avoid disturbing nests from March through July. Mm, I see. I see. That's important. A lot of times people come in and, and they, they feel like they want to do something to their property and Sometimes the first thing they do is bring in an arborist. And I think, again, we talked about protecting uh, the trees, but also protecting the life that lives in the trees and, and, and the property. Right. The, the best help for the tree uh, usually is pruning in the fall and, and deciduous time. Right, right. Wow, that's, that's a very interesting point of, like, really taking care of the natural uh, cycle of everything, Right. Yeah. Like yeah. The birds and all that stuff. So uh, I just want to go back to the mon- uh, irrigation systems. What are the tips you can give for people to to pay attention to 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 uh, to know if there's any leak or there's anything that's functioning correctly? What are the signs that we should be looking for? Yeah. Um, a lot of the times you can. If you just run every single zone, you can watch mm-hmm. that zone run and see that everything is operating, that it appears mm-hmm. that it's operating normally. Then mm-hmm. if you look at the, the run times for each zone, you can see mm-hmm. if water's puddling and starting to run off. 
If it's puddling and starting to run off, now you know you're wasting mm. water. You're also, right. if, that, if you have the type of soil that doesn't drain well, you could also be attracting mosquitoes, which is a big deal. Right. Uh, we do not mm-hmm. want to attract mosquitoes or create puddles or sitting water. Um, also, right. checking the clocks on the timers to make sure that you don't have excessive start times. Sometimes programs allow you to start a timer multiple times a day but you might mm-hmm. only need one run time a day. And right, right. if you're watering a slope, you're going to water a slope a lot differently than you're going to water a flat area. So those are oh, a lot of the things to keep an eye out for. Another thing, mm-hmm. a simple thing you can do is add a rain sensor so that oh, yes. in the rainy season you don't have to micromanage your timer and that the timer right. defaults to off once you get you know, past three-quarters of an inch of rain. I see. Wow, those are very practical tips. I could use that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure um, you're not the only one, Azumi. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I know. I know. So um, you were giving us some tips about this pandemic. Um, Do you have any, any other than what you mentioned, like if you have a, say, uh, how about, um, people who may not have a yard itself, but maybe have a balcony or patio or something like that, would you have any recommendation for um, not just the pandemic, but, you know, in general, what people can do to create something that's sustainable and peaceful and mm-hmm. relaxing? Yeah. Yeah, I I think that one of the first things I think about is um, how much time Mm -hmm. I'm at home with my son (laughs) and, Mm -hmm. you know, all the different activities we need to come up with, you know, when, you know, to keep him busy. And I think about all the families, you know, with balconies. And and I think that Mm -hmm. um, planting even a window garden with your child with something edible, or with something that attracts a butterfly, I think Mm. that therein is not just pleasant to have something to look out onto, but it's an investment, you know, for your child to learn Mm -hmm. about nature Mm -hmm. and greenery Mm -hmm. and where something might grow. It's a time to be together. Um, It's a science project. It could, it could really open the door to other interests related to something that if you're living in an area with less foliage that you still get that opportunity to, I guess, open the door to to try to Mm -hmm. be a part of that. Um, that, That's something I would encourage is is, um, we, a lot of us, you know, who don't have the space don't, don't maybe try to find the space, even, even creating a little green wall on an Mm -hmm. outside Mm -hmm. uh, facing wall if that's your only yeah. foliage, it could be the best foliage you have, and all of a sudden it becomes a passion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it really touches on our well-being altogether, you know, uh, we as a human being and everything around us that's surrounding us, you know. And and I think that's why what you're doing is so important. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. And, and yeah, we, I, we love seeing yeah. happy children, doing, keeping busy doing, doing things yeah. with plants. 
Yeah, I still have a fun memory of, you know, doing planting and uh, taking care of plants, the gardens with my mother. So, you know, I 100% I agree with you. And, and um, so I have my last question. Now yeah. that it's July, we're running into the fire season. So if you have mm-hmm. some brief tips of, you know, um, some advice you can give to you know, those people who are in the fire zone, which is pretty a big area in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there, there, there are a lot of tips, but I'll try to stick to the sort of the most actionable and maybe the easiest. Um, yes, please. I think something that, that we overlook is, is simply mm-hmm. looking around our property for the things that we use every single day, like cushions, mm. doormats, mm-hmm. wood piles, tools, all of mm-hmm. those things should should have a home that's not nestled up against the house or not in a place where an ember can land and spark uh, a fire and, and spread into flames. Cushions right. should be stored, umbrellas, toys, all of those things can really change our danger profile it, it, when, mm. when a fire is approaching. And so planning ahead to, to know where all those things go and just making a habit of putting those things away after every use mm. um, is, mm-hmm. is pretty critical in, in a fire area. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's one of you know, that's an easy thing that people can turn into a, ha- a habit. Um, right. Another it's, thing it's is, a matter of habit rather than buying something or do, spending money to oh, do yeah. something, right? It becomes a way of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, a, yeah. Another thing that uh, might, might be maybe obvious but maybe not is if a fire is on the way, one of the first things you should do is go around your home and close all of your windows mm-hmm. so that embers can't fly in to screen, burn right. through the screen, and then find a source mm-hmm. of ignition inside the home. Um, right. And, and on the more proactive side, uh, home hardening, things like changing the mesh on attic and basement vents so that they're very uh, fine woven vent seals on those vents or mm-hmm. sealing off the gutters where uh, leaf litter or pine needles might collect and mm-hmm. become a source mm-hmm. of ignition. Um, right. And then when you look at maybe even larger planning, uh, you can look at your your window frames or your how many panes you have on your windows. It depends on how vulnerable your house is, but you can make larger changes like windows. You can uh, change your roof uh, to uh, a longer burn rate for your roof. Mm. Um, You Mm -hmm. can change things on your, you know, wood decking to things like wood crete or Mm -hmm. EK wood, Mm -hmm. which again Mm -hmm. has, uh, longer burn ratings. So, so from the very simplest things that are actionable to longer planning, 
And we right. always encourage people not, not to be intimidated by the longer planning. Nobody's going to be able to, like, fireproof their house in a month. Make, make right. a plan, put a budget next to your plan, and then based on your ability to spend that budget, put a timeline. That just is what it is, and you will get it done, whether it's a year or five mm-hmm. years. You can get these things done. So once right. you have your home hardened, uh, then we can actually look at the landscape and see how the home is vulnerable through flying mm. embers traveling in the right. air, and we can set mm-hmm. up the landscape to be another line of defense. Um, right. So number one is we remove things that we know are highly flammable, like palm mm. trees that can explode. <laughs> um, right. And then I've we, we, yeah, we remove highly flammable invasive plants plants that Mm -hmm. uh, dry out in the summertime because they're not acclimated to Los Angeles and also Mm. that escape into the wildlands. And some of those plants are are plants that people love, like pampas grass, fountain grass, Mexican feather grass, pride of Mm. Madeira. These are plants that you can actually buy at the nursery, but Mm. we shouldn't be. We should actually not be planting those. Mm-hmm. Then we want to look at that first five to ten feet um, from the home out and ensure that we have low and well hydrated foliage that's supported with irrigation. Uh, wow. we, we use a subsurface strip system um, that sometimes uh, it, it might be more practical to have an overhead system, but hydration of the soil and the foliage is key. Um, we also want to minimize, minimize long or large expansive runs of hardscapes that can create what we call sort of a bowling alley for embers to bounce on towards the home. Uh, and, and that can, I could, that's a little bit more visual. Um, the other thing is planting. Okay. Strategically. I'm so sorry. I have I have come, I have running out of my time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We have a I virtual tour. You can come and find us. I know. That's right. And you can find Cassie and her company uh, on their website, formlainc.com. And, and there is a lot of helpful information on your website. And, and I thank you so much for your time today. And again, this was Home Green Home Podcast. I am Izumi Tanaka, Green Realtor. You can find me at homegreenhomes.com. Thank you so much for listening. And I'm going to have to have Cassie again uh, on my podcast sometime soon. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Cassie.